be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Thank you, worship team. Uh, do me a favor. We're going to jump in this morning, continuing our series, Tough Truths. So we're going to jump right in. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, and if you do not own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. Uh, I'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. And, um, and then inside of your bulletin is a handout, and I would really encourage you to follow along, take notes. Uh, there is some purpose behind that. We tend to remember more of what we write down. So if God's kind of telling you something or speaking to you as uh, you know, we're <clears throat> going through His Word here this morning, just write it down. It'll help you remember it. While you're doing that, I want to bring to your attention a couple things. Uh, we've been pushing or encouraging, pushing is the wrong word, encouraging you to get a couple resources for this series. Uh, you know, this has been a challenging series to prepare for, and, uh, and I hope that you guys are finding it uh, equipping, because that's kind of what my goal was, to help equip you as followers of Jesus and, with this Tough Truth series. So one of them is doctrine, uh, and you know, we've been talking about the importance of having a right framework around the Bible so that certain passages make sense to us. Uh, the second book, and I don't, and, and that's at the Connect Center, second book is uh, Tough Topics, and I actually think we sold out of this one again, okay, this weekend. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we keep ordering them and they keep moving, so that's great. But you can certainly get them online at Amazon or other uh, Christian book distributors or whatever. This is by Sam Storms. This is a great book, covers a lot more topics than, than I will even cover, okay? <clears throat> um, last week uh, was less about a tough topic and more about a tough passage of the Bible. And that's a little bit the same this week, okay? We're going to be looking at a really difficult passage that, you know, and the reason I'm covering a couple tough passages is, um, you know, we encourage you at Coastal to be regularly in the Word of God. We want you to read the Word of God regularly on your own uh, in a quiet moment where uh, the Lord can speak to you through His Word. And so because of that, you know, there's times that maybe you come across a tough passage, I come across some tough passages. And so I'm trying to equip you with a framework because, you know, a lot of times a passage that stands on its own, pulled out of context, may not be rightly understood. And so I'm trying to give you a framework to help you understand some of these tough passages. I am on Wednesday... Uh, you know, as you get older, you have to... Uh you have to be more cautious of what you eat. You can tell I haven't taken that seriously just yet, but I'm thinking about it, okay? And so on Wednesday, you know, I was like, I really want to be careful what I eat here on Wednesday. And so for lunch, I had a bowl of salad with some fat-free dressing and some, a big cup of water, right? And so I did pretty good at lunchtime, right? Uh, the rest of the day, however, uh, I ate eight Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, don't judge me, okay? Because you're... You're pulling the story out of context. So let me give you a little bit of context to help it make sense. Uh, so in the morning at 8 o'clock, I had an appointment for my car down on Mercury Boulevard at 8 o'clock in the morning. I, I had to have some work done. It was going to take about an hour, an hour, an hour and a half. So rather than arrange a ride or whatever, I thought I'll drop my car off and surely there'll be a restaurant nearby somewhere down there on Mercury Boulevard and, you know, I can wait for my car. So I dropped my car off and guess what was right across the street? Krispy Kreme, right? And it had this sign that said hot or fresh or whatever. You know when that sign's on, right? What Whatever, right? And so I go over, and when they're a Krispy Kreme donut, when it is hot, when it's warm, like you know you're not just eating one, right? So I went in and ordered three, uh, you know, just to be prepared. And when they're hot, man, they just, you hardly even taste them, right? I mean, like I ate three, and I could have gone back for three more, no doubt about it, but they were great. And I'm like, you know, no problem, you know, I'll just, I'll eat well the rest of the day, you know, I'll be very cautious the rest of the day. And so for lunch, I had my bowl of salad and cup of water. I'm thinking I'll go home and eat a very healthy meal and I'll be fine. What I didn't realize is that that evening um, was our student ministry, Wednesday nights our student ministry. My wife serves in the student ministry, so we always do a kid swap. She takes our two teenagers to student ministry. Uh, she meets me 
me up here, and then I take my seven-year-old daughter, and I take her home, and we have some daddy time, and I put her to bed because she goes to bed a little bit earlier. What I'd forgotten about was that it was uh, our student ministries. It was what they call donut, and they have a donut eating contest, okay? And so I kind of was watching. I was like, oh, this would be fun to watch, you know? And then I found out that there was an adult competition to donut. And so, of course, a lot of people are like, Pastor, you got to stay, man. you got to eat. And so I was like, you know, for the cause of Jesus being furthered in the hearts of the children, you know, I will... I'll stay, and so, uh, but and so we said they lined all the adults up front, and uh, I was like, I'm just going to eat one, you know, just to be a part of the competition, you know. And so they handed me my plate of donuts, and I'm a highly competitive person, okay. And so, as soon as the buzzer sounded, it's like this competitive nature came, and I just started eating, right? And it was crazy—five donuts in three minutes, right? I came in third, okay. I didn't even come in first. I, I got beat by a girl, okay, and I'm not going to call that person out, but you know who you are, okay, and I came in third. The winner ate seven, okay, and uh, so I just did all that for Jesus, okay, but I had to, had to put the story in context. I mean, eight donuts is disgusting and horrific, but, you know, in context, at least now you understand why he's so overweight, okay, so um, this morning's sermon is... Very important that we put the right context around. In fact, I've been using words like big words, like systematics, right? You have to have the right system around the Bible or you will take verses out of context and really do horrific things with them, okay? And and I've told you, I told you last week that some of these tough passages, they actually encourage me that this is God's word because if it was written just by man, we would take all the tough passages out, wouldn't we? We wouldn't wouldn't leave any difficult passages. We certainly wouldn't put... uh, uh, any of the bad side of the heroes of our faith, right? We, we wouldn't put all the horrible stories about Abraham or David, right? And David having an affair and murder, man, we would leave that out to be sure. And we wouldn't talk about Peter denying Jesus and Paul, the apostle Paul, before he was an apostle being a murderer. Like we wouldn't leave, put all that in there. And it's these tough passages that encourage me. This is the word of God. And God does want us to wrestle with these tough passages. This morning's is extremely difficult. Uh, and I hope to give it the right framework. And I think when we get done, you're going to step back and go, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. That's my hope this morning. But I, I don't want to um, insult your intelligence by saying that this one is, is, is tough, okay? This is a tough one. In fact, at first blush, when I read it, you're going you're gonna to step back and go, what, that's in there? Okay, so 1 Samuel 15, before we read it, let me give, it a, let me give the, this three verses a little bit of context, okay? Um, the, this is the setting here is the nation of Israel has their first king. And so if you remember the story of the nation of Israel, it goes all the way back to Genesis where God promises that through a particular people group, the Jewish nation, he's going to bring a savior, a redeemer to the whole world. Okay. And so this group starts with just a handful of people. They go into Egypt. In Egypt, they incubate into a great nation. And then, and then Egypt begins to oppress them through slavery. And so God raises up a leader by the name of Moses to lead them out of Egypt through the desert and into the promised land. While they're in the desert, they grumble and they sin. And so God says, this generation can't inherit the, the, the promised land. So he raised up a new leader named Joshua and Joshua leads them into the promised land. And while they're in the promised land, they're supposed to make sure that they get rid of all the nations, what are often called the Canaanites, out of the promised land, okay? And, and, and so there's a, a nation that can incubate the truths of God and, and can be a place for the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to come through that nation, all right? Now they go through a period of judges where they don't have a king and all. I'm just giving you a brief history. And here in Samuel, God had been working through prophets and God raises up a king for the first time. What's the first king of Israel? Anybody know? King who? 
King Saul, right? So this is King Saul. And so King Saul is now the leader of the, the Jewish nation. And this is what a command that he gets from the prophet Samuel from the Lord for Saul to carry out. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. One day, Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from who? Who is it from? From the Lord, Okay. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to, and I want you to circle these two words, I've decided to settle accounts. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. I want you to hear this. Men, women, children, Babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Is that tough to hear? It's incredibly tough to hear, isn't it? Like, this is right from the mouth of, I mean, what is going on here? And so this one's a tough one to understand. But I, I think we're going to give it some framework, and I hope when you leave here this morning that you'll have a, maybe a little bit of a different perspective. So let me start with backing up and giving you a, a big picture biblical framework, okay? The Bible is very, very clear. Throughout the Bible, it talks about how God ordains the nations to carry out his will, all right? The, uh, uh, at a national level, God raises and, and fells nations according to his plan so that his plan will off, uh, ultimately go forward. And so we see that all throughout the Old and the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds the Roman church that the government bears the sword. In other words, the, the government has the ability or is given the ability by God to punish evil through force, if necessary. I want you to see this, Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from who? From God himself, all right? By the way, you remember when Jesus was being crucified and, and Pilate's asking him some questions and he refuses to answer, right? And, and, and Pilate says to Jesus, don't you realize I have the authority to take your life or, or, to, or spare your life? And what does Jesus respond to him, remember? You wouldn't have any authority unless it was given to you by who? My father, by God, all right? He says, you, your authority, and, and, if, and by the way, if you lead anything, if you lead a business or a small group or a church or whatever, you, you don't have any authority unless it's given to you by God. If you're, a poli if you're in politics, you don't have any authority unless it's given to you by God. God is the one that grants authority, and it's a very humbling thing. And those who exist, Paul goes on to say, all, in other words, these governments, they exist, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is what? He's talking about the government here. He is what? He's God's servant. I want you to see that. For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for uh, he does not bear the sword. Okay, that's, that's kind of your point there. Bear the sword in vain, for he's the servant of God and the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Throughout Scripture, it's very, very clear that God ordains nations at his timing to make sure there's justice on earth. 
And if a nation doesn't carry out justice and doesn't pursue righteousness and holiness, God can remove that nation at his timing and at his will. All right? Now, I'm about to illustrate this point, and I hope it humbles you a little bit. Because I think a lot of times we read 1 Samuel 15, the first three verses, and, and in a way we're a little bit arrogant. We sit over that verse and we go, how dare that happen? I'm going to humble you this morning, okay? I was watching, and by the way, if you haven't watched this movie, I'm about to give you a spoiler alert. Plug your ears, okay? And so I was watching with my son, um, uh, Wolverine, the new, the new Wolverine. How many of y'all are familiar with X-Men and Wolverine? About five of you. Okay, so Wolverine's like a superhero, right? And he's got these really cool things that come out. And anyway, he, can, he can't die and stuff. It's a cool movie. And, uh, but the opening scene of the new Wolverine is, takes place in, uh, right outside Hiroshima or Hiroshima, depending on where you want to place the emphasis. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> okay. Cause no matter, how, no matter how I say it, somebody's gonna come up to me and it's not that it's this. Okay. So, so the opening scene is right outside Hiroshima and, and it's the scene of the Americans dropping an atomic bomb on this city. And it's a very gripping scene. And this scene wipes out the entire city. And I leaned over to my son and I said, you want to know the only nation on earth to ever drop a large-scale nuclear weapon on a men, women, children, and babies and wipe them all out is? He looked at me and goes, no, who? And I said, United States of America. And he got really quiet. He goes, what? And I said, he's like, why would we do that? And Pastor Jeff was kind enough to find for me this weekend a letter from President Truman that suggested that... Um, by dropping the bomb, his estimates, by dropping that bomb, his estimates were we saved 125,000 soldiers on both sides of the fence, all right? Japanese soldiers, 125,000, American soldiers, 125,000. So his estimates were we saved a quarter of a million soldiers by dropping that bomb, okay? And he also suggested that he, the estimates coming out of the government at that time were that they were, they were expecting about a half a million men to be, come back from the war maimed for life. And so their thinking was we would save more lives, by dropping this bomb. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Okay, I have, and neither do you. But I would, say, I would humble you here this morning and say, you know, you're a part of a nation that has done this very thing. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying there's a place for the government. God ordains nations. And by the way, let me take a little side journey here for a moment, okay? We live in a great nation. We, we, um, we, live, we have some opportunities that... that other nations for thousands of years have longed for, and that's to help appoint your leadership, right? To be a part of appointing the leadership of who leads your country. You know, for thousands of years, that just never happened. And, and one of the things, I look at two areas before I vote, okay? And I would encourage you, for follower of Jesus Christ, to look at these two areas. And here is why, okay? I'm going to get to why. But I look at the two areas I look at almost always first is what do you believe about abortion and what do you believe about euthanasia? Okay, why do I look at those two areas? I'm not trying to stir up a political debate. What I'm saying is I want to know what my politician believes about the sanctity of life, where it begins, how precious it is, and who has the right to end it. Because I don't think it's up to man on when to end it at the beginning and when to end it at the end. Okay, that's a God thing. And if I have a politician, and the reason I look at these is if I have a politician that is okay with pro-choice and they think that they can be sovereign over an infant in the womb or they can be sovereign over the end of life, what's going to happen when we're talking about war and large-scale weapons? 
And so I look at those two things because I got to know what you believe about the sanctity of life and how precious it is. And it's a gift of God. And God is the sustainer. And God is the ender of life. That's, a, that's my little side note, okay? I want to challenge our world views here this morning. The second thing I want to talk about politics just briefly. You know, we're encouraged by the Apostle Paul to pray for our leaders. And I, I hope by telling my little story here this morning that... Um, you feel the weight of what our leaders go through. One of the things that drives me crazy about Christians, okay, is if it's not the guy we voted for, if it's not the man or woman that we voted for, man, we can be vehement against the person that's in office. That drives me nuts. Let's be humble enough to understand that the office of the president of the United States is an incredibly important office, and it is a difficult office, and leading this nation is a difficult thing. Instead of always yapping about what we're against, let's just get on our knees and pray for the president of the United States because they have a very, very difficult job. Yes, church? Let's be positive and let's, let's pray for our leader. If this is a person you didn't vote for, because God is ultimately in control. God will raise up a leader and take that leader down if that's what he chooses. In the in-between time, it's our job to lift that person into the throne room of God, that they would have wisdom, that if they ever have to make a decision like President Truman had to make, that they have sought the wisdom and counsel of God. Yes? Okay. God is sovereign over the nations. Okay, now let me, <clears throat> so uh, that's kind of the big picture. Now let's zoom in a little bit on the history of this story in 1 Samuel 15 because he starts off by saying, God, is, the Lord said, I'm going to settle accounts. So let's talk about the settlement of accounts, okay? Uh, the people, so let's talk about the story behind the story here in 1 Samuel 15. Um, the, and, and the reason I'm picking on this one story, there's several times in the Old Testament you'll read this kind of language, okay? So, so I'm just equipping you and preparing you. The Canaanite nations uh, that were in the promised land, they were, history tells us, they were horrific nations. These, these were not a basically good culture. These were, these were horrifying cultures that, um, that usually saw women and children as not even human. I mean, they treated them as less than human. And, 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 and they were cultures that had they spread on planet Earth, uh, they would have been oppressive of such nature that evil would have been rampant. Now, were they small little nations at the time? Of course. But imagine had they grown and dominated large portions of the earth. And now, you know, now the earth is, we, we, through technology and God's grace and blessing, and now we're able to sustain 7 billion people on earth. And, 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 and could you even imagine if one of these Canaanite villages or towns had, had, had that kind of ability, maybe rule hundreds of millions or even a billion people, it would be horrifying, okay? These were not based basically good nations. These were nations that would sacrifice their children to the gods that they worshiped, okay? That's what we're talking about. And so we're talking about uh, God saying, I'm, I came to settle accounts. So I want you to see it all the way back in Exodus chapter 17. <clears throat> and to, to give you a little picture here, the nation of Israel had just left Egypt with all these miracles that God did. Remember all the plagues he sent on Egypt, right? And then he parted the Red Sea and the nation of Israel went through the Red Sea on dry land. And then the, uh, the nation of Egypt, the most powerful army on earth at the time, chased them, decided to go in the Red Sea and the Red Sea swallowed them up. So they get to the other side, okay? It's been this exhausting journey out of Egypt uh, into the desert towards the promised land. And here's what happens in Exodus 17, verse 8. <clears throat> While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So let me give you, how many of y'all remember this story, right? Where, where the nation of Israel are fighting 
king. And Moses' staff is up. As long as the staff is up, they're winning the battle. Whenever his staff drops, uh, they, they are losing the battle. And so Joshua and Aaron come alongside Moses and hold his arms up so that the battle is won. How many of y'all have heard that? Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're like, man, sometimes these Christians, they say really weird phrases, okay? One of the weird phrases we say is like, we're going to lift his arms up in prayer, okay? That comes from this story. So a lot of times we're like, what is he talking about? Lift his arms up. I didn't know his arms were tired, okay? And so it comes from this story, all right, that, that, that the nation of Amalek had attacked the nation of Israel, and they went on to win the battle when Moses kept the staff. So let's jump down to verse 14, okay, of chapter 17 of Exodus. It says, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. So Joshua is the next leader of Israel that God's grooming and raising up. And so he tells Moses, he says, write this down. He says, and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and he named it Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek like generation after generation, okay? Then Moses in Deuteronomy, okay, gives a little more insight. Now, this is very insightful, okay? Because Moses continues to unpack the story in Deuteronomy chapter 25. He says, never forget what the Amalekites did <clears throat> to you as they came from Egypt. I want you to get this. They attacked you when you were two things, what? Exhausted and what else? And weary, right? And they struck down those who were struggling from behind. And I want you to get this. They have no what, church? Fear of God. Now, I want you to remember for a minute, all right? The nation of Israel was just miraculously delivered from Exodus. In fact, there's other passages in Exodus that talk about how the, the fame of God spread through all the known world because of the miracles that God did to deliver his people, yet the, the Amalekites had no fear of God. Can you imagine of anything more horrific than a nation ruling the world that has no fear of God? Can you imagine anything more horrific than that? And by the way, one thing that concerns me about America is as we, as a culture, go away from God's word, uh, we're becoming a nation that no longer has a fear of God. And by the way, that nation will not stand. The nation will not stand because God can't allow a nation that allows injustice and evil to prevail and a nation that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. That, that's not going to stand. God can't allow that. And I can almost guarantee if, if we continue on the path that we're on, I hope not for my children's children's sake, but for the glory of God, it'd be fine with me because righteousness needs to stand ultimately and justice needs to win. All right. This group had no fear of God. Therefore, verse 19, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land he is giving you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven. Never forget this. This is the story behind the story. And so 1 Samuel 15, Sam, uh, Samuel comes to Saul and says, it's time to settle accounts. Now, I think all of us would agree there is, there is a time to deal with evil on earth. Yes? There's a time to deal with evil on earth. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. It goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 3.8, <clears throat> There's a time for love and a time to hate. There's a time for what, church? War and a time for peace. I think most of us in this room would probably agree that de dealing with Adolf Hitler was a good thing, right? I mean, we couldn't let a man that decided a particular race should be extinguished just because of their race and incinerate people. 
upwards of six million for no other reason than their birthright. That needs to be dealt with. There's a place for dealing with evil, and there's a place for the Malachite nation. They couldn't grow and become a leading nation because they would be horrific. It's a nation with no fear of God. It's a nation that has no problem just attacking the weak and the weary and making sure the least of these don't survive. Those kind of ideas and worldviews that given a nation with great power is a horrific thing to see and to be a part of, yes? We've seen it in our century, and sometimes that needs to be dealt with. And so I think it's easy to rip out 1 Samuel 15, 3 and kind of sit in our ivory tower arrogance and say, well, that's a terrible verse. But I think when you begin to see the history around it, you consider the own, the own, your own culture, we all would recognize there are times when things need to be done and dealt with. As horrible as they think, but in the bigger picture of the sovereignty of our God, we rest in God knows what he's doing. So that's number one, okay? That's the big picture. God raises up nations and he... And he uh, fells nations at his command. Number two is the character of God. So here's the second thing I want you to see, kind of a framework. And by the way, I'm going to finish up on time this morning, all right? I know we're only on number two, but these next two are going to be quick, all right? I want you to see the character of our God. There's an overarching theme of the Bible that's bigger than the salvation of man, okay? There's an overarching theme of the Bible that I think takes precedence over all things, and that is the glory of God in all things. I want you to hear that. The glory of God. God is going to be glorified in all things. That's the overarching theme of the Bible, okay? And so let me ask you a few questions. If the overarching theme of the Bible is God is going to be glorified in all things, is God glorified with creation? Does creation uh, uh, illustrate and amplify the glory of God in his character, does it? Absolutely, yes, okay? So can God bring glory to himself through the salvation of man? By redeeming sinful man through his son, through the cross, absolutely yes. All of you, many of you sit here this morning, sing praises about that because you know what that means for you, okay? Can God bring glory to himself through answering prayer? Yes. How many of you feel like you're being set up now, right? You're being led into something. You are, okay? So uh, can God bring glory to himself through suffering? Absolutely. See, If you don't have the right systematic and you go through a difficult time, if if your systematic says that God wants you to get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable and everything to go your way all the time, if that's your big picture, every single one of us in this room is going to go through a difficult time. Some of you sitting here this morning, I know your story, you are going through it right now. And if your big picture is that, man, I'm just supposed, I know Jesus and I'm supposed to get through this stuff easy. You're good. It's going to blow you out of the water when you suffer, right? You're not going to be able to stand. Why? Because your systematic is wrong. Your big picture is wrong. The big picture is God can bring glory to himself through all things. Yes, church? Absolutely. Sometimes when we suffer, he's actually able to make, bring more glory to himself through the difficult times. And usually it, it takes you going through the difficult time. And then after it's kind of over and subside a little bit, you step back and go, oh yeah, that, I, now I see what God was doing, right? Let me ask you this. Can God bring glory to himself through judgment? Absolutely. Okay? So, so another systematic for 1 Samuel 15 is maybe God's judging the nation to bring glory to himself because there will be a time where there will be justice. And justice is a character of our God that we can sit back and go, wow, we serve a just God. And that's an awesome thing. In fact, 
whenever I watch a news story of a family that's lost a loved one to a murder, and I can only imagine what that feels like, how you process that. But I think there's great hope for that family to know, listen, no murders go without justice. Does it always happen here on earth? Not always. Not always. Sometimes, but not always. There will come a day where every person will stand before the God of the universe and justice will be served. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you're going to stand before God and bear the holy wrath of God for your sin. See, the wrath of God is poured out on sin. It's either poured out on Jesus Christ for you or it's going to be, you're, you're going to handle the wrath of God yourself. Terrifying place to be. Because God will be glorified in his judgment. Okay? The, third, the second thing about the character of our God is we have a, we have a sovereign God. God. God knows best how to bring the story to completion. So that he gets the greatest glory at his return. And so because of that, um, he knows which nations need to rise and fall so that he can get the greatest glory when he finally returns. I mean, my thinking is this. If we can trust Harry Truman to know when it's best to deliver a large-scale weapon on men, women, children, and babies, then surely we can trust our God to know when it's time for a nation to rise up and it's time for a nation to fall. Does that make sense? We have a sovereign God over all things. All right? The third thing is the holiness of God. We worship a holy God. That means he's without sin. He's perfect. God is serious about his holiness. I want you to hear that again. We worship a God who is serious about his holiness. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're messing around with sin, you're dabbling in sin, even as a believer, and you think it's okay, listen, there is going to come a day where that sin is going to find its account. It's time to settle accounts, if you will. God, we're not, even as followers of Jesus at times, I'm not half as serious about the holiness of God as he is, right? I take his holiness so, so lightly sometimes. In fact, he's so serious about his holiness, he didn't just forgive your sin. Did you know that? Now, your sin's forgiven if you're here today and you're following Jesus Christ, but he didn't just forgive it. He punished your sin. It's just you didn't bear it. It's his son, Jesus Christ, bore the punishment for your sin. That's how serious God is about his holiness. Now, here's the final thing. Okay, so I've given you a couple big frameworks here this morning. One is, is God ordains the nations. Number two is the very character of God demands justice, even sometimes justice here on earth. Okay, and then number three, we take stories like this and we run them through the New Testament. Okay, so here's this, the spiritual aspect of this story. All right, so we, we've kind of got the physical aspect, things on earth, but that doesn't always explain everything. The second thing, the final thing I want you to do with a story like this, and there's several of them in the Old Testament, okay, especially, is you run them through the New Testament, because that's what we're supposed to do with the Old Testament. And the New Testament reminds us that the battle that we face as followers of Jesus Christ is a spiritual battle, okay? We, we battle with, uh, with, the battle that we face is not against flesh and blood, not against other people. God takes care of other people. That's his job. Our job is a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, uh, a final word, the apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Okay? So I want to remind you that I, I say this frequently. The New Testament is very, very clear. The battle that we fight is spiritual. This is not about jihad, okay? And this is not about the crusades. And this is why it's important to have the right systematic, because even the church has done some horrible things when their systematic's not right. 
Does that make sense? You take passages like 1 Samuel 15, you run them through the New Testament, and we're reminded it's a spiritual battle. And the, and the enemies of our faith are threefold, all right? Number one, we battle the world. I don't have this in your notes, but you can write this down as a reminder. We battle the world. The world is the influences that influence our thinking. It's the worldview that wants to battle against truth. So when you come to church and we open the word of God and we hear something maybe about sexuality or about finances or about how to have a marriage or whatever, and the world is gonna generally be against that. It's going to say, no, that's not what it looks like. And we have to battle for truth. Okay, that's a worldview. That's the world. Then there's the flesh. That's our second enemy. It's our own flesh. We talked about that last summer, man. We spent some time in in Romans chapter 7. We talked about even as followers of Jesus, uh, we battle against our own sin nature. That's our flesh. The stuff that doesn't want to do what God wants us to do. And the good news is, before you were a Christian, the Bible is very clear. You're just going to do whatever your flesh wants to do anyway. You're going to do it all the time. But once you become a follower of Jesus, the good news is, now you've been freed up to fight the battle internally, okay? And go, you know what? I know this isn't right. I'm going to fight this battle till death do us part, okay? And that's just the nature of the process of sanctification. We battle against the flesh. And the third enemy of our faith is Satan himself. And Satan is against anything that's of the kingdom of God. And that's why I love the Lord's Prayer, which we kind of sang here this morning, right? That, that, man, we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, Because we battle a literal enemy of Satan and his legions want to do anything they can to bring down the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And so church, we fight a a spiritual battle and the weapons of our warfare, things like prayer and the word of God and corporate worship and community and praise and truth and self-sacrifice and love. Those are the weapons of our warfare, dying to ourselves and loving God and loving others for the glory of Christ. Because the second thing I want you to see uh, if we run through the New Testament is our hero is Jesus. Jesus Christ wins the battle. Jesus Christ wins the battle. The Old Testament is just shadows and types of the New Testament that define their ultimate conclusion in our warrior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to conclude this morning by showing you a video. In fact, it's a, it's a, if you've been here for any length of time, it's a drama that we've done live before, but I decided to adjust it this morning and show the video. And uh, what I want you to see as you watch this video is whenever I read 1 Samuel 15 or passages like this, and we read about passages where the Bible says, wipe them all out. I've run it. I always watch these videos and I run it through the grid of the New Testament. And I go, wow, we have a hero, Jesus Christ, who has wiped out all of our enemies. Men, women, and children, and babies. I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about figuratively there, right? You understand that? Spiritually speaking, he's wiped out all the enemies of our faith. The world and the flesh and the devil. And as you watch this video, the thing I love about this video is it shows Jesus is the great warrior. And he wipes out in this video all three of our enemies. He's going to take care of the world. He's going to take care of our flesh. And he's going to take care of Satan, the evil one. And so I want you to watch this. This is a skit by Lighthouse to a song called Everything. Watch this.
probably seen that skit a hundred times and I almost cry every time. Um, there's nothing that gives me greater hope than we have a Savior who has vanquished all our enemies. And he wipes them all out. I mean, it's not even a close contest. If you remember what Jesus said on the cross, he said, it is what? Finish. What? It is the beginning of the process of wiping out all the enemies of our faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and there are no contest for our hero and our savior, Jesus Christ. And there will come a day when Jesus Christ will return and I just wonder if maybe he'll quote from 1 Samuel 15 and said, I've come to settle accounts. Come to settle accounts with the enemies of God. And all that is wrong will be made right. And justice will be served. And the broken will be made whole. And the children of God will be made free. Free indeed. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, it was your church we gathered this morning and we worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, when we take a tough passage like 1 Samuel 15 and we run it through the story of God, it gives us new perspective, God. That the story of God is that every part of your character will be revealed, your holiness, your righteousness, your justice, your love, your mercy, every part of your character will be revealed, God. And we will stop in awe and give you glory and give you praise. And God, for a moment, as your church, we reminded the Psalms to say, you know, if, if we're silent, the rocks will cry out. So your church, we gather this morning and for a few moments we say, you know what, the rocks can be silent because we are going to praise our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for the one here this morning that's in bondage to sin or to the world or the influence of the devil, that this morning, God, they would find hope in the Savior, the great warrior, the hero, your son, Jesus Christ. And they would recognize that he came to wipe out all the enemies of God. And they will not stand in your presence. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you are a guest with us this morning, I want you to know we are not after your money. Thank you so much for being here. Our service is our gift to you. This is just one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. So if you'd like to take part of that, you're welcome to. As a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. We call it a connect card. If you'd fill that out, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning and... and um, God's been kind of working on your heart and you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone about things going on in your life, uh, we always have prayer team members that sit in the front row after the service. Uh, you can even come up during the closing song. They wear pur purple shirts and they'd love to minister you through singing. And uh, as we take up the offering, we're going to sing uh, the song Mighty to Save. And uh, church, we have a great, a great warrior hero in Jesus Christ, don't we? And uh, he is mighty to save indeed. Joey.
fear. 